her decide. You know? I will let her decide. She, you know, individual freedom. <laughs> Mom, this is a really good time to stop listening to the episode. Oh, <laughs> you don't you're have to. Right answer. here. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Um, yes, I think I would sorry, categorize myself more as an anarchist than I would not. Hello, and welcome to Inconclusive, the podcast where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up, Inconclusive. My name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candace. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. It is important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, let's begin. Welcome to part two of our episode on capitalism versus socialism. Just in case you've forgotten and it's been a while, here's a quick recap of what we were just talking about. Maybe I still would because it's something that I'm doing because I love it, right? Mm. And the same with the, like, that's the, being the point of the swimming. And there's people who do it for everything. The people who volunteer to teach music and there's people who volunteer to walk dogs and there's people who volunteer to X, Y, and Z, even though it's not meeting any of their financial survival needs. It's because it it's some of their emotional and spiritual emotional needs. Emotional and spiritual needs because yeah. we're created for more than survival. And now on to part two. Welcome back listeners. Before the break, we were talking about uh, hierarchies and inequalities. And um, there's actually uh, kind of going back on the economic inequality idea or wealth inequality. There's actually a study done of how wealth inequality affects economic growth. And if inequality is either too high or too low, it actually stagnates the growth. So in general, like some a certain degree of wealth inequality does connect to economic growth in some way or another. Yeah. How are you defining you economic say? how is economic growth defined though? Like for each individual person or for a country on whole or the average of a population? Because that, that's, that's, I, to me, it's the, that is the big difference, right? Because if you're talking about the economic growth being on the average of a country, well, who exactly is growing? It's not your poorest people. They're trapped in their poverty, right? It's um, generally the upper middle class and the upper class and the very, very upper class. And to me, that's, that is the, the point. I, I actually don't think that the, the bad side to economic growth is always due to capitalism or like the, we can't, we can't always blame capitalism for the inequality of economic growth dispersal between the classes. I'll give you an example. So, um, there's a book called invisible women. That's about the gender data gap in the world. And it talked about how, um, the most common way to cook in the world is done by women and is the three rock stove. The, so you have three different rocks holding up stove, fire underneath, and, and it burns and boils the water or whatever it is that's in the stove. And it causes a lot of carcinogen damage on our bodies. Like it's in smoke inhalation. It's very unhealthy, but it's the only way to cook in many places in the world. So in this one area of India, this nonprofit came in and said, we want to improve your livelihoods. We want to give you this, this new stove that doesn't burn smoke in your house and it's uh, clean and easy to use, but they didn't talk to the women before they designed the stove. And the way that they designed the stove required expensive 
maintenance and required that they get permission from their husbands first because in that area of the world, the husbands dictated what where the money was spent in maintaining the home. So the other way was free and just had smoke inhalation. And then the new stove cost money. So the new stove wasn't used, even though it was... Uh, economic growth that they were then through the kindness of someone else's heart volunteering to bring in and disperse money in this uh, real plausible logistical improvement to their livelihood. But it wasn't used because of other factors that kept that disparity from being put in place uh, or well, being dropped. And I would totally agree that there are other like issues that cause economic disparity, like sexism and racial, like racial inequality and all kinds of other underlying things too. I definitely wouldn't disagree with it's more than just capitalism. Um, but I do think that there are certain inequalities that are ben- that are created specifically in a capitalistic society or it exacerbates, this is maybe what I'm trying to say, it exacerbates other inequalities that are already under there, such as I don't think capitalism necessarily creates classism, but classism is exacerbated in well i think in societies with capitalism and the same with like and that's what keeps like this idea of um these these gaps this giant gaps between the poverty and the upper class yeah so i think i i would i i don't know if it exacerbates but i definitely think that capitalism benefits from that inequality yes Mm -hmm. but i think the question then for me is is it a permanent inequality? Um, and it's not because there's ways that you can move in and out of poverty. Yeah. Um, you can move in and out of unemployment in the same way. And so in a society, in a capitalist society, which admittedly values wealth as one of the top goods, like to be wealthy is like, oh, you're doing something right. Right. Um, which I don't necessarily would agree with placing the value of wealth in that in that position. But I think that the idea is forget about the top. If you're at the bottom, what options are for you? And in my mind, capitalism offers people who are at the bottom to work up. Whereas in socialism, at least where we've seen it, it's everyone's on the bottom, except for the government. Except for Mao Zedong on the top. Everyone <laughs> right, else is right. a starving uh, peasant. And right? I- or USSR, right? So... And, and you said this earlier that like nowhere's nowhere's done socialism completely correctly and sin. no one's done capitalism completely yeah, correctly either, right? Sin. So, right. So <laughs> sin, I mean, that's an underlying thing, right? So I think definitely inequality is present and in a capitalist society, I think it's utilized because it serves as a motivator to get people like, why do I have incentive to work up? Right. What's my goal? Like if I value wealth, if I value status, that's my incentive to work up. So in a capitalistic society, that's what people are going to work towards. So I just read a book called White Trash, the 400 year class history, untold class history of the United States. And it talked about the start of um, the classist system of the U.S., which was that we had Uh, these colonies given by uh, the British government and uh, people that were brought over to work on farms, work with tobacco plantations to work with um, uh, harvesting sugarcane or whatever else, they were usually either 
prisoners or people who were who in like debtors prison. Their, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that their, their only option was, Oh, let's ship you away to the new world. And it was because the people who were in the, in the new world already and had the land were requesting workers. And they oftentimes received the same payment for taking workers from the government. Even if people died on the boat coming over, if they requested 200 people to work on their field and the government sent 170, cause 30 people died, they still got 200 people's worth of money from the government saying that, thank you for taking these prisoners off our hands. So in, from the beginning of the, the current year, U.S. like system, people were seen as cargo, and even the way that we talked, like the founding fathers talked about people, was seen as cargo. Like Thomas Jefferson talked about breeding a lot, and a lot of other uh, people that were their writings were touted as great uh, foundation for the U.S. government or the U.S. society is looking at people as uh, bottom feeder stock or. Um, they call them literally trash people or rubbish people that they are low breeding that in the same way that you would look at a cow or you look at a horse as having low breeding. So when we talk about wealth inequality as like this necessary part of society, the hard part of that is that it's like from, from what I just read, it's like we're saying we have to continue the same narrative that was given to us 400 years ago in the U.S. of calling people less than real or less than, than totally infinitely valuable as they are because they come from a family that didn't give them the education that they had or because they were in debtor's prison before, even to the point where today in the U.S. there's a whole sector of society that of people that other people refer to as white trash. And those people are oftentimes seen as being less than and locked out of buying property or locked out of mm -hmm. um, the same job opportunities that other people have. It's often the reason that many nonprofits are now offering, like, like laundromats in the U.S., can offer free laundering of... Um, job interview clothes mm -hmm. because maybe in certain homes there aren't those same um, basic amenities at home that would give them that same opportunity at a job because there's a lot of things that jobs would be turned down in the U.S. if you don't have clean clothes on or yeah. if you don't shake hands at the right moment or you don't have the social collateral that you yes. may have been able to be trained with if you didn't come from a certain class of people. So it's hard to say that like everyone can work out of poverty when like even to the point where 200 years ago there were laws put in place that kept people from certain classes of society from buying property yep. and working their way to the same stations that other people had. I would say that that's what you were just describing, these barriers to people who um, are wanting to work hard and are unable to because of whatever society imposes on them. I don't think that's capitalistic at all. Mm. I find that to be the opposite of capitalism. Okay. Because capitalism is each individual has the economic freedom to be part of the marketplace, to produce goods that could be desirable to people. Um, I don't think, for example, you mentioned um, basically, I guess, like indentured servitude being brought yeah. over. Um, that's not capitalism. No. That's, that's forced labor. Right. Capitalism is about free labor, free market, fair marketplace. Um, you engage and work and the value of what you sell is based on the value of what you're producing as opposed to the value of you. So, but it can't be totally free. Like we, we talked about this already. Well, that no, like of course it can't be everything. totally free. But like there's, there's certain things that, that people learn 
in order to enter that then free economy or certain skill, social skills, certain, certain like... So I totally think we should incentivize those. I, I'm definitely in favor of training people so that they can be active parts in a society mm-hmm. and so that they can make good for themselves. Mm. So here to kind of like agree with Candace and disagree with you, which is very <laughs> surprising to our audience. I know, I know. Um, but to go way back to the example actually before Candace started on her... Um, her like spiel about white trash, which was very good and feeds into my Thank point you. very well. Um, but Solid you were talking spiel. about how <laughs> how people in a capitalist society who are at the bottom have opportunity to earn up, right? Whereas in a socialist society, at least in the way that we've seen them, everyone is at the bottom, um, right? Okay, except for Mao Dung or yeah, who, except Stalin for whoever's in charge, or, Hugo Chavez. Yeah, all them people. Hugo they Chavez. be the top, and everyone else be at the bottom, sure. right? Or um, top in his posse, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His friends. His friends. Yeah. His little oligarchs. Oligarchs. <laughs> Oli Paul. What was it? What was the word again? Oligopoly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Abigail's point. Um, but you're talking about how there's a lot of incentive for people in this kind of a pyramid of hierarchy to go from the low up to the high, right? But the problem with that is, is there's no incentive for people at the top to provide opportunities or fair wages for the people mm-hmm. at the bottom to be able to allow them the opportunities to come to the top that's not true because offering jobs benefits both the worker of the job and whoever's hiring because so so here's what here's what it sounds like you're saying and please correct me if i'm wrong that these business owners are just hoarding wealth which is which is partially true and they're not true. doing anything with their profits true yes that's but to true. an extent to an extent because here's there are- what profits go to profits go to innovation Profits go to starting, sometimes supporting new businesses, which does not always happen. Profits go to expanding your business, which creates jobs. We can go into, I think it's a valid point so, to go into talking about how much we pay people. So, but, already, that, I mean, but I mean, that's what I was going to get at. So free labor is not bargainable as the same way that property collateral is. So say I can't in America, I can't go in and be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this for less than $12 an hour. Well, it's, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am like I doing? Like, if you're just standing at a machine pushing buttons, why should I pay you more than 10 bucks? And that is the problem. Because since someone who has the wealth could afford to pay you enough money to be able to live, which we have two whole episodes on the beginning of this series, they're choosing not to because it cuts into their profit margins, which prevents me from being able to bargain for a wage with, to which I'm not... I'm providing healthy food for my family. I'm providing shelter for myself and I'm able to exist and to be able to move up because if you're working at a place or at a job where you're making as much money as it is to survive, then with what extra money are you making that you can buy nicer interview clothes or can you take a day off to be able to educate yourself on some other form of society that you can be in or Mm -hmm. where are you going to have time for innovation if you're working two jobs like I've, I've known teachers actually in the states who work two jobs because of how expensive it is to live in the areas. So you're working your morning, your mm-hmm. teaching job and you're working after school. So with what time, I mean, and that's just, that's education, yeah. which is, that's a whole like different Oklahoma conversation by itself. Yeah. And then that's, that's a to- entirely different conversation because it's not totally a free market. Right. Um, but many other people do the same thing. So you're working 12, 14 hour days because you're trying to survive. And even if you're in how, and with what time and extra resources, are you going to have the opportunity to be able to build yourself up in this in this pyramid that we're talking about? You're stuck because you can't you can't afford to get a loan 
to buy a house, to be able to have physical collateral, to be able to get into the next the next thing. You can't borrow against your car if you can't afford a car. You can't, you can't, I mean, you're selling your stuff at the thrift store, maybe, maybe, or not the thrift store, sorry. The, so, um, I mean, how do, so then how do, because like hundreds of, not hundred. I'm not sure how many thousands, tens of thousands of foreign immigrants travel to the United States for opportunities to work. Why would they do that knowing that they're going to go into a, a cycle of poverty that you're describing? We do hear stories of people who go into the United States who went without anything in their pocket and they have worked their way up. Yeah. People who like Asian and Chinese American families who traveled there like or after um, like Japanese Americans who came out in internment camp, people who start at bot- rock bottom or I guess, I don't know what I would perceive as rock bottom. They, they're able to work themselves up because of values that we place as important in society. This is a narrative from uh, Victorian England. There was a book called uh, The Self-Made Man. It was published by um, Samuel... No, no, I'm actually talking about real people in the mid-20th century. Right, but like that, the idea that that is all the time happening, the idea that it's common, the the idea that that's the norm, like that is from that book. It came from Victorian England. All I'm saying is it's possible. Yes, but the point, my my reason I brought out the book is because that book is the reason for, during the Industrial Revolution, the fact that... um, debtors prisons existed it was because people assumed that if you were in debt you were a bad person that you needed the like you could have pulled yourself up by your bootstraps but you didn't so therefore you are a criminal and you deserve to go to prison and you need to work off your debt those those this idea that anyone who is who want who can or anyone who is at the bottom of the pyramid is able to work up is not true a hundred percent. And it, it, that ideology came from that book. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. Hello, and welcome to jokes and jocular facts with James. I was going to tell a joke about capitalism, but 90% of you can't afford to get it. So here's today's joke. What's the difference between capitalism and communism? In capitalism, man exploits man. But under communism, it's the other way around. Today's jocular fact is the real name of Monopoly mascot Uncle Pennybags is Milburn Pennybags. The game of Monopoly dates back to 1903, according to the New York Times. And while it's seen plenty of changes throughout the years, the current version we know and love features a snazzy, top-hat-wearing man with a mustache who's holding a cane. While you may know him as Rich Uncle Pennybags, his real name is Milburn Pennybags. And he's not the only member of the game who has a name. The Monopoly policeman is officially called Officer Edgar Mallory. This has been Jokes and Jocular Facts with James. Catch you next time. And we're back. Uh, Before the break, we were talking a little bit about... Capitalism. 
and socialism. Actually, we've been talking for a very long time. Abigail, you had a thought. I, I did have a thought. So right before the break, before Candace's, Candace's spiel, another very good spiel, by the way. Thank you. Spiel? Spiel. Is it spiel or spiel? spiel. It's spiel. Spiel. It's Words like are a hard. German word, I think. I will do it next week. Classic. Words are hard <laughs> with Candace. Um, but so you're ta- but before so before Candace's spiel, you were talking about specifically immigrants who are able to come and yeah. make it, right? Yeah. Um, the majority of immigrants who come who are able to make it are, and as you had talked about several different um, specific groups, but are Asian immigrants. But actually, no, that's not true, actually, because African immigrants also do really, really well. Nigerian Americans are one of the highest earning um, minority groups in the United States. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Asian immigrants in general outperform. So Nigerian immigrants is one specific type of African immigrant, whereas Asian immigrants as a whole encompasses a lot of different countries, like like tons of different countries, Indian, um, Pakistani, Pakistani Americans, Americans do really well in the United yeah, States. Yeah, Japanese, mm-hmm. but yeah. you had mentioned mm-hmm. Chinese, um, mm-hmm. like a very large group, right? Korean immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're the whole idea of model minority. So people are want Asians because Asians are hard workers. They're intelligent. They're really good. They're innovative. They're willing to try really hard. They're going to be able to change and, um, develop and go with smart types of things like, um, medical field. It's good if you have an Asian doctor. These are things that like are ingrained. I mean, I don't know about when you were in Arkansas, but for me in the Pacific Northwest, these are things that you hear, oh, it's really good because there's Filipino nurses there. Or this is a really good one. very few Asians <laughs> in my entire growing up years. Oh, yeah. I okay. can count them on one so hand. So I, I, coming from an area with very large populations of Asians, it's the the closest side to Asia, right? Um it's like, it's good. Oh, this is a good place. There's tons of insert mm-hmm. Asian minority who work here. So you know, it's good. Or, oh, that's a Korean doctor. Like that's a good place to go. Um, they have that kind of collateral coming from like social clout, social, social clout coming back from, I think the beginning of Asian kind of like a cultural reputation. Yeah. Perhaps. Cultural yeah. reputation. But Germans also have, you know, like we perceive Germans as being in a certain way, hardworking, very strict to the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. It's a okay. so, it's a very positive social reputation, but at the same at the same conversations, those that's not spoken about with like Hispanic immigrants at all. Even just look at the rhetoric that has been happening in the past four years in the states, specifically around Hispanic groups of people. But in my of course, because we, as we've talked about before, racial stereotypes are not always true. There's always some, there's, they're never a hundred percent, right? So the racial stereotype of um, Mexican immigrants being lazy and just taking all of our jobs and taking all of this thing and just hurting us and not being what you want is but not they work true. Very hard they work very hard, but they're not as able to find opportunities and they're not as able to work up in the opportunities that they have. So like, again, in Oregon, most recently coming from tons and tons and tons of Asian in the medical field, like all over the place, like all over. But all of the Hispanic immigrants that I knew were um, Hispanic immigrants, not Hispanic people. Like I also knew some Hispanic teachers, but like people who were, who were more recent immigrants were in the fields picking apples. And it was because that was the job opportunities that were afforded to them. The amount of money you get 
Picking apples is not the same as the amount of money that you get being a doctor. Of course, the education requirement is different. The amount of time spent in it is different. But at the same time, some of these poor farmers had lots of education from the countries that they had immigrated from. But Mm -hmm. because it's a Mexican degree or it's a Colombian degree, it's not weighted the same way, which sometimes is, you know, fair, sometimes not. Um, Even between countries where... Even between countries. like, Like Taiwan doesn't accept Chinese medical degrees. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like I found out from somebody who had a nursing degree from China, moved to Taiwan, and they told them that they could not practice here. So then that person moved to the U.S. and got a, another medical degree, and she came back to Taiwan, and they still wouldn't let her practice because she had a Chinese nursing degree first. Yeah. And I they, didn't know that. Yeah. From political tension, they were like, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But because of that, the opportunities that get afforded to some of these people are just different. It's just more limited because of your race and you have more benefits because of your race on the other other hand. Like the stereotypes that I have grown up with surrounding Asians have always, always been positive. I have not, in my personal life experience, I have not come across, you know, as a white person, any like negative things that people have said around me or to me from other white people about Asians. I've almost exclusively heard negative things about Hispanic populations. And of course that doesn't include um, African-Americans who were brought over, you you know, like who are in for forever, right? The oppression Mm -hmm. of that, like even taking that out, speaking specifically of immigrants. So there is something to be said for it's easier for a immigrant from Asia to be able to come and work themselves up pull themselves up by the bootstraps and afford a really great life for their family in the States than it is for immigrants of other countries to do the same thing. And in the same way, white trash, um, right? Maybe you can clarify. You just read the book. Yes, I am the current expert on white trash. Is considered to be even lower than Asian immigrants. Um, I have a really interesting side note to that. So in the Little Rock Nine, the conversation around all of the photographs that were taken of the Little Rock Nine as they were entering their first day of school and all of these white women were behind them, shouting at them, screaming at them. The people that were in that crowd that were written, given by name, most of them came from what were considered to be white trash families and they were fighting against the African-Americans integrating in the school because they would lose their status as being one not the bottom. So like uh, uh, Johnson, President Johnson, LB Johnson was big on that, saying that if you can tell someone that they are not the bottom, then they won't believe that they're the bottom, even if they are living as though they're on the bottom. So these poor families who were class at the bottom and living on little to nothing and didn't have rights or didn't have the same opportunities as other people, they still thought that they were okay because they considered themselves above another people group. So as long as you can get one group to be incentivized to be angry at another, then they won't request more. They won't challenge the current system. They won't add ask that um, companies give fair opportunities for women or for other types of groups because they're like, well, at least I'm not African American. At least I'm at least I'm white. Whatever. That's that's essentially what was driving those people in those crowds, which is insane because we don't talk about that. We only talk about oh, look at these horrible white people who are in the crowd being against black people. It wasn't about their skin color first. It was their class. And then they went with their skin. Um, I I don't necessarily disagree that there is um, inequality based on cultural or racial perception. I think that's a very real thing. And real quick to clarify, I I don't think that that is capitalism's fault. 
I, I want to add that out there. That's I, a, that's I a would racist argue, fault. Right. I would, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's these, you know, these are all kind of underlying human effects of human sin, yeah. obviously, that, that we're trying to deal with in the best way possible that we know how as humans. Um, but I, I, I do think that, well, a few things. I think the United States is is a poor model for, <laughs> capitalism. for doing things for for capitalism um, because it's unfair mm-hmm. because it's there's inherent not necessarily economically related inequalities that either limit or boost certain people's stock for mm. better for lack of better term um, like the, your examples that you provided exactly um, Asian Americans. Uh, the median household income of like Indian Americans uh, is like 123,000. Yikes. Um, which like, wow. which, which is insane, which is much higher than the median household income of, of white Americans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I'm in no way saying obviously no one, we all don't start on the same level playing field. Hmm. Um, but we I also I, don't have the same messages being told to us at home for sure. Yeah. And we, we also, but, and to be fair, we don't have the same cultural values that are instilled mm-hmm. in us because I think what you're saying about the model minority, um, I think of it as model values. Um, because having grown up in Asia where I do, there are terrible, there are terrible Asians here. We're not all great. Obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, there are people, like, Taiwanese families overemphasize on education. Mm -hmm. They overemphasize on results, getting, becoming a doctor, becoming an engineer. Playing These are all high-paying jobs, right? Right. We have, there's no, no one that's out there, um, not, not no one. But it's very rare that a a Taiwanese or an Asian parent would encourage their kids to get into the arts. Because it doesn't pay, Mm -hmm. right? So, in our, like, hierarchy of values... Like income is up there in a, yeah. in Asian societies. Education is up there. Um, working hard is mm. up there, right? So all of these values are in some way put you at an advantage over others who are not as high on those values, right? People who maybe don't emphasize as much on education. Maybe people who focus more on sports for whatever reason, right? Like either you can say by individual choice or by racial stereotype right, or whatever. Right. Um, but so I think like this kind of connects back to my thing about peer or the about hierarchies is because each of us kind of focuses on different things because we all can't be the best at everything. So we kind of, well, I, I, I don't think I can be best at everything. Oh, you gave me a face. <laughs> oh, no, I, oh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I came across okay. that way. Or maybe I did, but Enneagram it wasn't one. because I was disagreeing. <laughs> it's just you, we know that you hope that. I just hope it. And so it makes me sad to think that you, someone you can't both be hope the that best for and... different reasons. Like you, ho- like James, you never hope, you never hope to mess up. And Abigail, you hope to, to be successful at everything you do. At everything. Hashtag future futurist. <laughs> and I think we need to take a quick break. Welcome back, listeners. Before the break, we were talking about uh, different cultural values and what may result from them. Um, we're gonna—I'm gonna kind of circle back around to uh, 
socialism versus capitalism. I think neither has been practiced perfectly in right. the world. Right. Um, so I think just as it would, I don't think it would be completely fair for me to say that socialism is a trash system because look at China. Yeah. I think the same could be said. Capitalism is not the worst system. Uh, or sorry. It's not you, the best. You also can't say that capitalism is the worst system because look at the U.S. Look how it right. does this. So I think... Um, I don't necessarily think we're debating like the current historical examples of both of these because I feel like history is on the side of capitalism. Perhaps I don't know. What do you think? I like, think if looking at the historical record, which which I one would you say has done a better job? If we're looking like currently yeah. as to how it has been up to two thousand twenty twenty, I would agree with you. But I do think that we're going to see. Um, specifically in places like the U.S., where has countries that have less of a social net, we're going to see them implode. Like, Mm. I don't think it's going to be sustainable for much longer. And I think if we were having the same conversation in 2040, it might, I might say something different. Um, And, but I agree with you. What you said is that it's really hard for me as someone who doesn't like wealth building to say that capitalism is a trash system because it hasn't been worked out perfectly ever in history because people are sinful. Um, and the same, I couldn't say that socialism is the best system ever because people are sinful. Um, I do think though, that if you look at it in theory and not in practice, I would still say that I think socialism has a better, would do a better job of taking care of it, taking care of its people and providing, um, well, obviously, equal opportunities. But I think because we are sinful and we are separated from God and there's no one righteous, not even one, it will never work out in our our world where there isn't some sort of a Mao Zedong, Caesar some Chavez. Some sort of state coercion. Ma- right, oppression. at the top. Yeah. Because that's just how it is, right? Like, Wouldn't you say, so I've, I, I like that we're jumping into the theoretical because mm-hmm. I feel like that's a better space for us because there's a lot of historical garbage that gets mixed in. Yeah, we're right. About. So I, I would disagree with you on the, the theoretical. I think that because I perceive that the, um, the smallest unit of agency is the individual as opposed to the collective. Based on my understanding, socialism is the collective takes importance over the individual because things are collectively determined, I guess, presumably by a majority. I, I guess, well, would you I support think, like a democracy, democratic, I mean, socialist? I mean, yeah, but not, but no, at the same time, okay. but not because I think that a dictator is good, but because I think our perfect system is a system in which... I, I know. I'm sorry about this. God is at the head and he is looking okay. down. I know. I know we're going there. I knew that that was going to be the answer. <laughs> I apologize. So there's and, like, wait, there's theoretical given human condition and then there's theoretical given no sin. Given, well, given what the new world will be like, I think when God comes back. Cause so I no think, sin. Well, so no sin. Okay. So right. No yeah. Sin. So but I think that, that also depends on your view of the next step because so, some people say the, the thousand year reign, there still is sin. It's just that Jesus is running stuff. So he, well, even, okay. So even fast. then, so I guess whichever way I, think when Jesus comes back, we are not going to be in a society where wealth building or trying to achieve money in any kind of a way um, is going to be our purpose. I also don't think we were created for that to be our purpose. Um, And I think biblically, if you look like looking more biblically, again, thinking about a world without sin kind of supports that idea too, right? You're supposed to take care of the least among these of these, right? You're supposed to help the widows and the orphans. You're supposed to be um, everything that's given to you, right? It's not just for you, right? The love of money is the root of all evil, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so I, I, for me, I feel looking at it, like the, and I could be wrong. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I think that the perfect system would be a socialist system that is run with the true intention of the benefit of all and not the intention of, of the success of a top group. So as an English teacher, I really like that we're going into, th- into the theory mode because that's dystopian lit, is to think, what would this look like if it was at its most extreme or if it played out for another hundred years? And four different book series came to my mind. One, or books. <laughs> so one, Fahrenheit 451, is, is a capitalist oh, yeah. society where everyone devolves into mindless screen-watching, like, piles of human on couches. And Wait, we're not, that's not a, that's... That's it's what, also Wally. That's what we're doing right right now. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's where we're headed. That's, that's where we're headed. And also, everyone's car. They can drive really, really fast. Everyone's really reckless. Whenever they're not in front of their screens, and when they're in front of their screens, they lose their brains entirely. Hopefully, their driving is also reckless. Oh no, it's it's full. It's wreckful. Wreckful. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Guys, just in case you're listening, we it what it is reckless. R e c k l e s s. But it is wreckful, W-R-E-C-K-F-U-L. Yes. God's love's not reckless. Continue. Book number two, I thought of the Divergent series. So in, in the Divergent series, there is, is somewhat of a socialist system because everyone is given a fair shot to join which sector of society they would like to join, and they can choose to leave the one that their parents were in before, and they can go to... Um, the, the other ones that maybe have a different personality that they feel more inclined to. and um, that But then someone takes advantage of it because they built that system to keep everyone in line there rather than leave or question or wander outside. They, they wanted to keep them in their parameters. Book series number three. There's a series from Marie Lu called, uh, this the Legends series of the Project, Project prodigy series and in that one she has four different countries of the new world that have or in north america that are new lines have been drawn world war three happened at some point 10 years before and there's one society that's rigidly a dictatorship or military model there's one society that's a capitalist model totally stringently there's one that's a meritocracy and there's another one that i have totally forgotten of but in each one she shows how people will mess it up and how um, they, they tend to think that their society is the best model because their problems look like they know them. Like they're more familiar with their own mess than they are with other people's mess, so our mess is better. Number four, 1984, George Orwell. Uh, it's talking about the deepest extremity of control of a government over a person's liberties, the, the thought police sift out people's um, innermost dialogue and the the uh, love department or the sector of the government that is in charge that's called the love sector is in charge of punishing people it's it's the it's all about misnaming things to keep the people under control mm-hmm. so I feel like every government is going to be stinky in some way or another like you said people suck but also there's but not you, listener. <laughs> you, listener, are great. We <laughs> appreciate you. You do not suck. <laughs> but there's, there's just like, I, I can't also see how if like we debate things theoretically, even how they'd play out in our world, we're still real people, you know? Like even theoretically, 
there's there's not a safety net for sin. There's not a safety net for how people are going to misuse the system. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and corruption goes both ways. It does. Yeah. It does. Even sure. oh, that was the other one I was thinking of. Oh. Add on one more. City of Ember is about a people that the scientists said will go underground to protect our or this hundred people from uh, world implosion, and they are safe underground for a hundred years. And then the moment that the timer goes off and says you can go back to the surface, the people who are under the ground stop the people who figure out it's time to go back or try to at least because they want to not disrupt the social norm or the status quo or their way of life, even though it's vastly better to be up in the sun where you can get food from the surface and not be eating from canned food that was made a hundred years ago. So we're all about keeping things as they are, avoiding pain and not letting other people disrupt our own wealth accumulation or our own comfort level. Mm. It's a mess. So then what do we think is the purpose of having such a debate? <laughs> I think like why did I bother? <laughs> why do we good. bother debating? It's it's good so, to ferret to ferret out the things about um, our ideals that brush up against truth and the things that that are a little bit farther away from truth. Yeah. I feel like personally. I, so I kind of I kind of asked that I'm not actually (laughs) wondering why we're debating this, Um, but I do want to go back since we're talking about the theoretical. It seems to me there's two types of theoretical. There's a theoretical like in heaven theoretical, and then there's a theoretical on earth, given the current human condition, Mm -hmm. what would be the ideal situation? I think I would agree with you in heaven that we would all work collectively for the good of everyone. Mm. I think that's clear that the Bible calls us to do that. And I think that Christians should try to live that out best we can Mm -hmm. in the world. We ought to care for one another. But I don't know where the line is between I ought to care for one another and I want to make you also care for someone. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because I think there's there's a line there where we we have to respect their individual, you know, liberty. I'm going to sound super, like, you know, libertarian or whatever it is here. But, like, they're... Like, people have... Um, freedoms, right? People have rights to how they want to run their life. Um, and I think that's that's part of... I think that's a God-given nature but that I, humans I, want to do things and preserve their, their way of, of being. I think that's hard, though, because we already control people in a lot of different ways. So to go really libertarian, um, with that same kind of an idea, then we should be living in like commune type situations where we're all able to make our own um, collective rules of our group and be able to do that with no government interference at all because like to take what you're saying to an extreme, right? Because the government is infringing upon or the economic system or whatever we want to as we're going down this rabbit hole, however we want to talk about it, is putting on restrictions outside of this given or inherent need of freedom. And so I I kind of am wondering then in this theoretical on earth, if it wouldn't be following your train of thought, better to just have no government implementation at all. People police themselves in a more anarchist, libertarian type way. Um, and mm-hmm. build wealth how they want right. and with whatever way they want. Because if we're taking the idea of morality and which part of like wealth, wealth building and 
and ought to care about each other as that idea of morality out, then what gives us the right to put any type of laws or things that would be considered our governmental implemented morality on us? Because maybe I don't want to... Security. I mean, that's that's the... Probably the foremost reason that the first governments came to be is pr- is protection of their citizens. Absolutely. Um, but so I would say so. Like for this anarchist or this, libertarian. Uh, libertarian commune idea thing, um, which Our inconclusive <laughs> libertarian communist which is, commune uh, coming soon. Which I don't know where it would go because I feel like every inch of this planet's been claimed by someone or some <laughs> animal. Uh, I guess you could kick the animal out. Um, but I feel like. Like in that case, you have to establish a common way of protecting yourself, either from each other within the commune or from people outside. Mm. Which would, to me, kind of go back to that idea of but protecting the idea of protecting citizens includes the idea of protecting people from um, the bad things that come with being impoverished, not have malnutrition and not having access to clean or running water or being exploited, or by, being exploited employer. by employer, yeah, right? Like no, for, for to sure. me that those things are, are equitable. Like as much as sure. we need, as much as we need a police force or a military or whatever, which different conversation, mm-hmm. we also <laughs> need to be able to <laughs> protect our most vulnerable populations. Right. And so I think, I think from the same, that same vein, having a government with better social services um, mm. because right a pure so pure I, forms don't work right so having a more so a bigger social safety net uh-huh. in a society that also has capitalist ideologies would be are there better. any other yeah. smaller versions of of a system that blend capitalism and socialism or they like only just separately like, but is it still just called a blend of capitalism and socialism, or oh, is there's it there's no another? It's a mixed market, mm. I believe, is what it's called. Okay, that's, I mean that's what most of the world is somewhere along that. Yeah, along, along that spectrum. And you have countries that are more mixed than others, right? Yeah. Like Taiwan is really mixed. Taiwan's pretty mixed. Scandinavia, Scandinavia is really is mixed. Very mixed. There's Norway part- owns like all of it. Oil, Norway gets all its money from oil. I didn't know that. Which is ironic because we always look at Scandinavia as like, they're the model for like the planet loving. But Norway has so many oil rigs off its coast. I'm watching Abigail's world. No, Norway's not my favorite. My favorite is Sweden. Their poverty rate's going up, FYI. Is it really? Yeah. I'm I'm also watching the world. So there's a correlation. It's correlated with immigration, Mm. which is very kind of strange. And I think will rub you the wrong way. Because the more non-Swedish people they let in, the more poor people they have. But that's what I was going to ask. Are is the that poor people the immigrants? immigrants? I, I don't know. <laughs> that, <laughs> I haven't looked into it. That seems yes. like that makes sense. <laughs> Therefore, but they're not, I mean, given they're 20 not, more so years. They, in the past, they've had really high bars for immigration. Like, you have to be educated. You have to have, mm-hmm. like, certain skills. I have but looked I think to immigrate to Sweden several times. As they've opened it up, <laughs> they've brought in more people that I think are, um, well, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I know that the they. I know that they started opening up. up during the Syrian crisis. Yes. And so yeah. you're taking a lot of refugees, right. not people who are intentionally immigrating, yeah. which is a whole different. But other people, other countries like Denmark or other places, are notoriously tough to immigrate to. Yes. 
because I'm aware. they have really, really difficult. Um, I'm very specifically like, I aware. There already. <laughs> that, that I looked I into here? moving. I looked into moving to Sweden, like seriously. Like started like printing off paperwork and stuff um, oh, in goodness. 2016. Wow. Just gotta just love that 50 percent tax. Yeah. I'm into it. 50%? Yeah. It's like 53 but, or but something. But rent Holy is moly. so much lower. And I was just like li- reading a breakdown really recently, actually, from someone who immigrated to Denmark and as a teacher. She was a teacher who's immigrated to Denmark. And she's like, I could save like significantly more of my paycheck living in a country that taxes me higher than I could in the States, working the same job, working less hours. She works less hours in Denmark. Um but makes more money like after taxes than after taxes in the States. So, I mean, the 53% tax seems scary, but, but you get a lot of other, for other things, uh, for other get, things yeah, like, like health care yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and other social services that not just people who are like in desperate need yeah. get mm-hmm. to. And cars are taxed like a hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. It's really expensive it's to crazy. have a car. It's like double, that makes sense. Double the price. All right. I think we need to end with a quote. <laughs> And I picked a great quote. Oh, no. So excited to read this. It's going to spark public anger. By public, I mean Abigail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do like that I represent all of public. All of public. You are the public. The anarchist represents all of public. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Would you categorize yourself as an anarchist? I would say no. Well, no, her. Would she categorize herself? I'm I'm saying I don't think she does. Are you imposing your own category? I am. Let her decide. I will let her decide. You know, individual freedom. (laughs) Mom, this is a really good time to stop listening to the episode. (laughs) You don't have to. Right here. (laughs) Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, Yes, I think I would categorize myself more as an anarchist than I would not. Okay. Okay. Anarchist. Like 51 percent. Anarchist cannibal. All I can see in my head is Sons of Anarchy. You on a motorcycle with a giant gun strapped to your back, and also cannibal. <laughs> I don't plate. believe in I don't believe in guns though, so I wouldn't have one. I'm like high. You're gonna survive. You're soup. like the peace, peaceful kind of I'm the peaceful anarchist. anarchist. You know? yeah. Just exist. Just exist. Like a hippie. Like a, You'd exactly make a great like a hippie. hippie. I would make a great oh, hippie. Oh man, you're born too late. Yeah, I mean, you could still be a hippie. You just it would be frowned upon, probably. Yeah. Well, like speaking of being it. born too late, are quotes from Winston Churchill. Oh, wait, I have a really fun fact about Winston Churchill. Can I say please, it? Please say it, because <laughs> this quote's going to be the last thing I say, <laughs> he, both on this podcast and in my life. <laughs> last he, words. He used to wear pink satin underwear. And the reason I know that is because I'm reading a book about the Blitz in London. It's called The Splendid and the Vile, and it gives insanely personal details about everyone in the Churchill family. And, and, and I, I know this. this because you tell other people about Winston. His pink satin and underwear. His underwear. It is shocking to me. So and pink I underwear guy Sat- said Satin this. underwear seems like it would be very comfortable. And yes. who cares what color it was? But imagine because, the man, because, Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Because pink is a construct <laughs> that we have emplaced upon gender. Yeah, brown. I'm sorry. Heck? I just love it. Because <laughs> right. he's held up as like this like suited man who's all gruff and is angry and construct. bulldog of the of construct. UK. Societal construct. I'm sorry. I think it's funny. Yeah, Winnie, if you're listening. <laughs> then I you should probably not be alive. I support your pink underwear. Also, right. please uh, like us on Instagram. Here's, <laughs> here's the quote. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries.
And once again, you've reached inconclusive end of the inconclusive podcast. Sharing is caring. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Inconclusive Podcast. Talk to you next time. Thank you.